and welcome to episode 12 of Up and Away, the Australian Aviation Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Frangu. This week I'm joined by YouTuber and private pilot Stefan Drury, aka Steph747. Steph produces some incredible content online covering aviation, travel and technology, and I'm always inspired to get up in the air just watching his videos. We have a chat about what it's like creating his content, his favourite things to do as a private pilot, and some tips for all you pilots out there wanting to do more with your licence. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe as well as follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Oh, and if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be very cool. But for now, fasten your seatbelt and let's go. Hi, Steph. Welcome to Up and Away. Hello, Chris. How are you? Oh, pretty good. How about you? I'm doing really well. I'm smiling and I'm, people can't see on the podcast, but I'm really, I'm really happy because I've flown for the first time in ages, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing really well. I'm feeling really positive and, um, and it's nice to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Anytime. And we're, yeah, we're both from Melbourne, so we're both out of lockdown, sort of. Well, it's been eased as of you know, a couple of days ago, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's been good. It's been, um, I, I worked out, I was, so I was, I was at the airport. I'll jump into a story very quickly, if you don't mind. But I was at the, the, the airport yesterday, um, flew my aircraft again yesterday, and I worked out, I looked back on the calendar, it was the first time that I'd flown a plane for 106 days. And I reckon I was looking back at my logbook, and I had a few gaps in my flying career where there were sort of gaps for financial and personal reasons. But out of choice, I think that's the longest I've ever been between flights. So people in Melbourne are, whatever whatever the thing is that they love, it's just so nice to see people out and about again. It, it feels like the city's coming back alive again. So it's great. Totally. It's got a bit of a different energy at the moment, hey? Oh, it does. It does. I think um, it feels a bit more like a village to me at the moment, Melbourne, rather than a city right now. I think that kind of big mm. city, no one talking to each other, no one looking at each other in the eye when they're walking the streets. I think it's a bit different now. I think there's there's a real, you know, it's in adversity that brings communities together. And I think as a community, we have we have come together. And I think there's a real sense of pride of where we all are. Um, and I think you, you don't normally get that in, in those big city environments. So yeah, I'm really, really proud to be a, uh, you know, a Melbourneite right now and a Melbourne. Yeah, me too. So yeah, it's good. It's a, it's a good time. It, it feels like there's positivity ahead, which I think everyone needs after, after the year that we've had. Totally. We've been through so much together. I think is that camaraderie. I think now we're like, well, if we can do this, we can do anything as a city. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, come on. Oh, I was going to say, what are you going to throw at us next? But no, we don't want anything thrown at us next. No. That's enough. We've had enough. Back to normal would be good. <laughs> That's all we want right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, no natural disasters or Godzilla related events or anything. Nothing oh, God, like no, that. No, no, please. Just a nice, a nice normal summer of barbecues and sport. That would be, that would be good. <laughs> totally. And flying. And flying, of course. Cool. So generally, I like starting the podcast with this question. When did your aviation journey start and what inspired you to get into aviation? So my aviation journey started, it sort of started and then it stopped and then it started again. So it's, it started when I was quite young. I think I remember um, there's a photo of me at the Biggin Hill Air Show, which I'm sure many of your listeners would be familiar with in the UK. So I grew up in the UK. Um, and my dad used to take us to, we lived in Kent, which was pretty close to Biggin Hill. He used to take us to the air show every year. And I distinctly remember being at the air show, watching the red arrows flying over overhead, who are still my favorite formation display team. It's incredible watching what, what they did and still do now. Um, the RAF Vulcan, which was the huge Delta wing bomber that used to fly over the tops of your heads. And that thing was so loud. That's awesome. 
oh man and then you get the sound and you get the smell as well of like the fuel vapors and everything as it's flying overhead um and of course all, all the other aircraft as well and so you go as a kid and you're like oh yeah that's taking me to an air show yeah that's pretty cool and you go another year and you, you start to think oh damn this this is this is like really awesome i love this i love this world that, that i'm being exposed to um and so i really started to fall in love with aviation as a whole and my parents, I was quite fortunate. My parents used to um, travel quite a bit. So I used to travel a lot with them. So I'd fly commercially as well. And all of a sudden you think, oh, there could be a career in this. Maybe aviation is for me. And then I got to my teenage years and I remember talking to my careers advisor. I think I was 15 or 16 years old. And um, I am six foot two now. And I was about six foot two when I was a kid as well. And I went to my careers advisor and I said, I want to be a pilot. And I distinctly remember they turned around to me and said, I think you're too tall to be a pilot. And <laughs> as a 15 or 15, 16 year old, um, completely naive to the ways of the world, I was like, oh, oh, okay then. And kind of listened to them and went off and uh, pursued a career in technology. So as a kid, I was into it. I went through my kind of 20s and 30s. And then I, I got to a point where, you know, business was going quite well. And I thought, I really haven't scratched that aviation itch. And, and I still, yeah, I'm totally. A, as, yeah, I'm still as in love with it as I was as a kid. So I thought, no, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn how to fly. So I learned how to fly in my uh, early 30s, um, and basically just followed. wasn't a course. I just um, I funded my my private pilot's license over a, a fair period of time, and yeah, and just decided that I, I wanted to learn how to fly, and it was great because I finally, you know, got to got to experience that world, which I which I loved as a kid. So. It's probably my, yeah, my dad's responsible for it, but it wasn't until I was kind of in my middle years that I actually got into it for real. Was there a point in time there where you were like, hang on, I can fly. I'm not too tall. Why didn't <laughs> I do this? And is, and should I pursue this as a career now? Or were you like, oh, well, at least I'll be a private pilot now. It's, a, it's a, That's a really good question. And it's funny, I get asked that quite a lot. So people say to me, of course, like I have a commercial pilot's license now. Um, and I guess we can talk about that in a second. But the the thing is, people say to me, well, cool, you've got a pilot's license. You know, are you going to become a pilot? Which airline do you want to fly for? Do you want to get into like the military? And the thing is for me now is I've found this really, really nice balance in that um, I have a career that supports my flying. And I don't yeah. ever, I'm not in the position now where I want my career to be flying. And that's for a few reasons. And um, because... The, the state of my career at the moment and I own my own company um, so it's harder for me to put that aside and, and completely change careers but also I suppose I'm one of the most fortunate people in the world is that I, I can fly and I can choose where and, and when to fly you know it's up to me I'm not being told how to do it or where to do it or in what aircraft it's really down to me so totally. for someone who loves aviation and now has the means to enjoy it um, I know I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for a career because I think I'm in I'm in I'm in the best position I could be, which is very fortunate. Totally. It, it is fun, uh, that freedom, you know, be able to do it uh, just for fun and do whatever you kind of want and fly whatever planes you want. It's pretty it, cool. it totally is. And also for someone like me, I mean, I've got a Scottish father and I, I grew up in England, so I'm one of the most stubborn people you'll probably ever meet. I'm not very good at people telling me what to do. <laughs> so if someone yeah. ever told me yeah, like... Don't oh, tell me that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If someone said, well, oh, so you've loved this flying career for so long, I need you to wake up at four in the morning and fly to this you know, place that you don't want to. I, I don't know how good I'd be at that, to be honest. I'd probably yeah. rebel a little bit. Whereas I can, um, Whereas if I can wake up and decide where to go, I kind of like that dynamic a bit more. 
Mm, that's actually interesting. I'd probably be terrible at that then too. <laughs> then maybe that would come to haunt me now that I've vocalized that. And if I ever want to get into, you know, flying for an airline or like yeah, scratch the, edit that bit out, scratch that thing, from the record. Yeah, edit that out. No, I'll be really good at doing that. Yeah, give me a job. Exactly. Wow, Chris, you're so disciplined. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so disciplined. <laughs> and I love mornings, getting up in the morning. You know. Oh man, he loves it. Yeah, love yeah. give it. this man a yeah. job. Yeah, he wants yeah. the midnight shift. <laughs> So uh, I guess uh, moving on from that, what kind of licenses and ratings have you got? So you said you got a CPL. Yes, I do. Um, mm. Yeah. What, what what kind of stuff have you worked on and what have you got? Um, well, okay. Let me work backwards from that then. So I started off I started off before we had RPL. So it was, um, was it GFPT, General Flying Progress Test. Um, that was the first racing I did. I did some training with a flight school that's no longer there, sadly, in Bankstown in Sydney. Um, so I did my GFPT first solos and all that fun stuff, first area navs. And then I focused on my private pilot's license. So I did my PPL study um, with a company called Sydney Aviation College in Bankstown, but also a little bit with Schofields, the flying club that's um, still there. I think it's just called SFC now at Bankstown Airport. Um, got my PPL and that was brilliant. And then I was like, wow, I'm set. I've got everything I need. I've got all the tools I need and I can fly. I was flying Warriors at the time, PA-28s. Uh, Piper Warriors around all around New South Wales, going out to Orange, going to the wineries, going to Cessnock. That's cool. Um, and I thought, this is brilliant. That's all I need. And then all of a sudden, you know, winter comes around and I started thinking, oh, I have to get back by 5.30 before last light. And it was getting a bit restrictive. So I went for a, I thought I'll get a night VFR rating. And I did that with Red Baron, uh, the company, aerobatics company in Sydney, in Bankstown as well. Did my night VFR and... I really started liking that style of flying. I like the procedures. I like the instrumentation, the avionics side of, of flying um, in a glass cockpit uh, warrior, which I actually did that one in. But I was getting to the point where I was kind of, yeah, I got my PPL, got my night VFR, and I, I'm enjoying it, but I think I could really improve my skills. And I decided to study for my commercial license, knowing that I wouldn't use my commercial license commercially. I just wanted to study for the CPL because I thought it would improve my understanding of my flying as a whole and just improve me as a pilot. And I thought I, I liked that additional understanding of the world. So, yeah, so I studied for my CPL with a couple of companies. It just so happened I moved from a couple of schools um, because of timings, but got my commercial pilot's license. And then really there was kind of only one other thing left for me to do at that point as a uh, an always private aviator and and my night vfr gave me a big taste of this which was my instrument rating mm. and i have to say my instrument rating can um and if i can i give props to someone here on the channel there's a guy of course can i, yep. can I do that okay thank you there's a guy yeah. there's a guy called steve pierce uh who works for peter binney advanced flight training at moravin airport anyone who's done an instrument rating would have heard of steve he's one of the the best instructors I've flown with, one of the nicest guys you'll fly with. And he he gave me the understanding of instrument flying that sticks with me, you know, four years on now. And to have your private pilot's license with an instrument rating just gives you so much freedom. And that is by far my favorite sort of flying. If I could choose between going out for a VFR flight, low level around the coastlines, you know, bush flying, landing on beaches, that kind of thing, or uh, a big long four hour uh, up the east coast or water crossing or bashing between sydney and melbourne ifr i choose ifr every time i love that style of flying um love the procedures and and i love the fact that you can take yourself places 
uh, with it, which is a big part of my flying. I think people love it or hate it. Hey, it's kind of like either people are <laughs> super VFR or like really into IFR. And <laughs> it's like that yeah. real contentious sort of thing. No, you're absolutely right. It is. And, you know, I fly, I fly an aircraft, which has got some, some pretty cool avionics and some, auto, some high level automation in there as well. And I, I love it. That's my favorite style of flying. And you do get some people who say, well, that's not flying. It's not flying when you get an aircraft. <laughs> autopilot? Use autopilot? Are you not a real pilot? And so people, and so if it's not stick and rudder and navigating via, you know, maps, watches, compasses, and and pencils, then you're not a you're not a real pilot. But I disagree. I think there's I think there's a, a mission and an aircraft and a set of tools for for every person, and they're all different. And for me, I like to use flying to go places. That's the reason why I like to fly. I'm not a seat of the pants, stick and rudder person. I am, you know, I want to go to Sydney for the weekend, or I want to. You know, yeah. do a trip around Australia or, or, or fly somewhere. And, and so the instrument rating for me really opened up, opened up the world for me in, in that way. Did you hit any sort of challenges that you found hard to overcome in your flight training? Um, I find most people when they get into IFR training, they find that quite tricky. But did you find maybe if you were super into that and you sort of seemed to get that really easily, did you find any other aspects of your training like difficult? Um, I, well, first, <laughs> thanks, Chris. I didn't find it easy. <laughs> it's oh, nice okay. to say, <laughs> some bits of it were hard. No, some bits were hard. I, um, the, the IREX, the instrument rating exam that we do here in Australia, um, similar to most instrument rating exams around the world is hard. It's, it's the hardest exam I've mm. done. Um, what did I find hard in it? Yeah. Working out like NDB intercepts was just ridiculous. I hate them. I still hate them today. I don't fly them now. I actually have an aircraft, which doesn't have an ND, like an ADF, uh, to, to be able to do NDB approaches. And I kind of did that on purpose just because I hate them so much They're, that people find them really easy. I found them really hard. Um, so some of that, some of the the more sort of mathematical, technical sides of instrument flying were tricky. But I really like the um, the the well, the R in, in IFR is rules. I actually like the rules component of IFR. I like I like knowing what you can and can't do because it actually it takes away some of the decision making from the pilot. It's not a case of well, should I, shouldn't I? It's a case of well, no, I can't descend below this point until I get to within this proximity of the airport there's a there's a hard and fast line on that and i i like that procedural rule based flying see you do like getting told what to do but in terms of procedures <laughs> not when to get up <laughs> and take true. the flight that's true actually yeah that, okay i've contradicted myself already but there no, you go. you're absolutely you're absolutely right no but i like so a set of rules um is good but if someone told me that i had to follow that set of rules no nah, i'm not sure so maybe that's, yeah. maybe that's the gray line. <laughs> You've got to tell yourself that's the thing. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I'll listen to me sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so many people might know about you from your YouTube channel. So what motivated you to get into creating online aviation-related video content? And how did you get started doing that? Yeah. Um, well, so I my background, when I said that story before about how I wanted to get into aviation, then I got into technology instead. That That is my background. So I... I started out, I did a college degree in, um, it was a Bachelor of Science in basically computer programming. Um, and I got into digital media creation from the start. So we were always uh, creating applications, programs, photography, videography. Um, there was a lot of audio production as well. So my first job in London was editing audio and video that used to sit on CD-ROMs that were stuck on the front of magazines. Um, so digital media was my background, and I've had a I've had a YouTube channel for a long time, actually longer than the verse, longer than the YouTube channel that's 
live. I used to put other videos up, just really ridiculous things just to play around with, but never, never put that public. Um, so I've, I've been involved. I was say, in... is that still available for people to, no, no. <laughs> to find? It's, it's, in a, it's in a vault. It's in a vault somewhere. There was some stupid stuff in there. It's just, anyway, it doesn't need to be seen. I, I'm really I'm <laughs> sad I brought that up. <laughs> but, but, but tech was my background. And when I got into aviation, then um, I started seeing, I saw some other people. There's some, you know, other channels, Steve O'Canevo, um, Nico, some Nico's Wings, a few, a few of the guys that I, I still follow to this day, considered to be quite good friends with those guys now. Um, they have, they've been producing content, which I just loved. And I love watching, well, I, I've got this aviation thing that I'm getting into. And I, I understand digital media. Maybe I can put the two together and share some of these experiences with people as well. So it started off as a way for me to document what I was doing. Um, but I, I quickly got really into the storytelling side as well. And the, the, um, yeah, that kind of narrative behind producing video content for people online and, and aviation has so many narratives in it. It's such a, an exciting industry to be able to share with people through technology like video and, and digital media online. So there's kind of a natural natural segue between my past and, and where I was kind of heading with aviation to, to put the two together and yeah, ended up with a YouTube channel and I've, I've loved it. And it's my absolute 100% focus. I spend way too much time on it, but I absolutely love uh, creating content and sharing content and just building that community with people online been great i think that passion and attention to detail as well as dedication to it totally comes through like the quality is awesome and they're really good so everyone should definitely check them out if you haven't already oh, thanks man yeah thank you no, i appreciate that i do i do love doing it so when you when when you love creating something and people enjoy watching that or experiencing that uh, there's no there's no kind of bigger joy i think as a creator so have you got a favorite video that you've made so far <gasps> Oh my God, a favorite video? I've, I've, how many have I got on there at the moment? 300 and something, I think. It's hard to pick a face, like picking a favorite child, isn't it? Um, a favorite video, well, let me, not so much a specific video, let me answer that with, I think that the sort of style of video that I like producing the most, um, there's the general aviation side, obviously, which we're talking about here today. I really like producing content, which is episodic. So like, mm. um, there's an adventure which sits as a framework around the content itself. So like, for example, I've done trips around Australia. Uh, I've done trips up to Longreach and back. I've recreated historical flights. And I think those, those collections of kind of between six to 12 videos that you can watch as a bit of a series. So there's a narrative arc that goes across the whole, whole collection of content, but there's also individual narratives within the videos themselves. I love that. I really enjoy doing that rather than just the sort of one-off um, single kind of, I'm going to fly around the city today and fly home again. I, I prefer doing those episodic kind of kind of um, bits of content. But I also like um, I produce content outside of tr um, outside of aviation. So I really like showing off the other side of um, sorry outside of general aviation. I like showing off commercial aviation too. So um, I try and do flights with airlines. I've done some work with certain airlines in the past of you know, the places you can go to and how you can travel there and what, what you can do when you get there. And I really love doing that kind of travel content. So that's why 2020 has horrendously sucked for me because I haven't been able to do any of that content, obviously. Um, but just, I think anything, the thing that I, I like to share the most is anything that I think someone can watch and they can think, oh, I could do that. And maybe I'll stop watching what I'm watching on YouTube and find a way to do that. I think any of that kind of content, um, 
is is probably my favorite and actually maybe can i sorry chris long-winded answer but i think your specific question is there one video the video i did recently where i flew to melbourne uh, Melbourne International. I did a landing at Melbourne Tullamarine Airport, which us general aviation guys, you all know this, Chris, we can't generally do on a normal day because yeah, of totally. the slot system and, and everyone else is going in there commercially. Because of the um, aviation shutdown, we, us general aviation pilots were able to go in there. So I, I got permission. I filmed myself landing on the four kilometer long runway, um, taxiing around the airport, looking at the aircraft there and, and flying home. And I love that because I didn't have to there was no forcing the storyline. The story was purely about how cool is aviation and isn't it amazing that right now we can do something like this. And the feedback mm -hmm. and the response I got from that video was um, so supportive to the aviation industry as a whole. So if I had to pick one favorite child, that would probably be it. I guess that's a good one too, because not a lot of people will be able to do that moving forward. So, you know, you've given people the opportunity to see what that's like and sort of live through you and live through that experience. Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do with the content is not just go, look at me, I can do these amazing things. I'm really trying to say, like, I'm, I'm really, you know, I worked hard to get where I am, but I'm just another guy in a plane, you know, flying around doing doing the stuff that I enjoy. So if if someone really wants to achieve those things as well, I believe it's possible. I really do. Yeah, totally. So I guess uh, moving on from that onto those long form videos you're talking about, where they're sort of episodic. I saw you did a pretty cool big flight in a series of videos across Australia. Can you tell us a bit about what that was? Yeah, that was a lot of fun actually. So. There's a, a bit of backstory here. I think it was it was 1919. It was the great air race that the um, then Prime Minister of Australia, he set a challenge that he would give, what was the price? I think it was something like £10,000. I think it was something like that. £10,000, which is a lot of money back there in 1919. Yeah, totally. yeah. For the first pilots who could fly from London to Australia in less than 30 days. Um, and a lot of people know the story. This was um, Ross and Keith Smith, the Smith brothers who flew their Vickers Vimy from London to Australia. Spoiler alert, if you don't know the story, but most people do, they did make it. They made it, I think it's 28 days. They won the prize. They were the first people to travel uh, England to Australia in, in less than 30 days. At the same time as all that was going on and they got all the attention, there were another two aviators, Henry Wrigley and Arthur Murphy, who took off from Point Cook in Melbourne. And because the Smith brothers landed in Darwin, they still needed to get down to Adelaide to finish their trip. But no one had flown across continental Australia like this before. This is 1919, okay? Crazy. This is what, 14 years after the Wright brothers flew. It's something like that. It's, we've only just discovered how to fly. Um, so Wrigley and Murphy basically flew from Point Cook in Melbourne up to Darwin um, over a similar period of time, around 30 days, but plotting airfields and places where the Smith brothers could land their Vickers Vimy on the way down. And the conditions that they flew through, anyone who's flown through any parts of Australia outside of metropolitan areas know it's harsh, harsh terrain. It's difficult enough when you have to shoot an RNAV approach into a regional airport. If you're flying an aircraft and there isn't an airport, they're landing basically in paddocks and fields and they're working out is with this support an aircraft on the way home they're they're basically the ultimate test pilots so the the route that they flew up through new south wales through queensland through longreach into the northern territory up to darwin was amazing and i i, I wanted to i wanted to make sure that that was represented as well as part of these great air race commemorations so yeah i did that i took my aircraft and i i retraced their route and i met a lot of really cool people along the way um there are lots of people who 
knew about the trip and came and met me at the airports. And I did it all, even though I have a nice aircraft that can fly high level, I did it all low level, uh, navigated by roads and railways. I didn't use the GPS too much. That's cool. Um, and yeah, I just tried to be as close to what those guys did. But yeah, it was an amazing adventure. And, a, and if you haven't heard of Wrigley and Murphy and you love your aviation, do look them up because they were some of the um, some of the real pioneers of aviation who get overlooked, unfortunately. What kind of planning went into a trip like that? Um, there's a lot of contingency planning for things like um, emergencies, obviously. And I think mm. that's where most of the planning came in. So when you when you start to get outside of metropolitan areas in Australia, you you have less options for landing areas. And if you do have landing areas, I, I fly an aircraft, which I would be fairly comfortable to land in a lot of terrain in Australia if I had to. But the thing is, once you get down safely, you have to, you have to still survive until someone maybe takes, you know, it could be a day or so to come and get you. So, so planning supplies, I have a, a good instructor who I've worked with in the past here in Australia, who helped me uh, in Melbourne, sorry, who helped me with, you know, the grab bag that I need to have, the provisions I need to have on board. But there's also a lot of technology that you can use to your advantage now. I use things like, um, you know, satellite-based um, uh, alert uh, beacons and emergency beacons. I have two separate EPIRBs on me at, at any one time, uh, one which I'd activate if the aircraft is going down, one which I'd activate on the ground. So it's all those. It's just going through the, the what-ifs. The actual flying itself, anyone can fly a plane. It's not hard. <laughs> It's not hard to fly a plane. Anyone who tells you it is, is is lying. It's not hard. It's just practice and planning for the the 1%. Um, so, yeah, it was mainly about that, um, flying through those areas of Outback Australia. But it was a great trip. I loved that trip. One of my favorites, actually, I've got to say. It's very cool. So you seem to do a ton of GA flying in general, like um, and even smaller flights and sort of like you're saying, you like flying to destinations and getting places. Mm. What are some of your favorite regular flying destinations? Um, regular flying destinations here around Melbourne, I'd say the good thing with Melbourne is really, uh, the Victorians are going to hate me now. We're really close to Tasmania and flying into Tassie is really, really nice. So you can fly to an airport called Cambridge, which is just outside of Hobart. It's, it's basically you, Hobart Tower Control, Cambridge Airport. And so you can fly for about two and a half hours and you can get to the south tip of Tasmania and down there is absolutely stunning. The landscapes around there, flying around. That is when I like doing some coastal flying when you're actually down there in the southern tip of Tasmania. It's just beautiful. You can also stop along the way on King or Flinders Island in the um, Bass Strait. And those are really well, um, really well maintained airports. They've got instrument approaches because sometimes you do get the low weather uh, across the Bass Strait as well. Um, but then you can, I carry a bike in the back of my aircraft, but you don't have to, you can get a taxi service and just go explore the islands. And that's, so that's, that's some of my favorite flying is actually going south. You want to be doing that kind of thing probably more this time of year rather than winter time, because it can get a little bit gnarly across the strait. Um, but it, it's great fun and it's good experience with the overwater flying. So I do, I do like going south, but I also like going to the east coast a lot. So when you've got um, Malakuta, Marimbula, Marimbula um, Maruya, those sorts of uh, seaside towns as well, where you can you can land your aircraft at the airport, but then you can walk to the beach. Mm, totally. And that's such a cool thing. If, if you kind of think to yourself, my life involves getting in a plane, landing at an airport under my own steam, going to the beach and then flying home again. That's, that's kind of your day. That's good fun. And I think I, I talk a lot about destination-based flying and having a purpose for your flying. And when the purpose and the objective is to go to the beach for the afternoon, but it's just a beach on the east coast of Australia when you live in Melbourne, that's when aviation really becomes powerful and, and, and good fun. So, 
yeah, those are those are probably some of my faves. But in, in terms of not local, I love it's it's a bit of a jaunt, but one of my favorite, favorite places to fly to is Longreach up in Queensland. And it's a bit of a jaunt. And I um with your flying Chris, because you're you're learning to fly at the moment, you're in Melbourne. My first big trip outside of when I got my my um instrument rating, my first big trip. So when you get your pilot's license, you have to commit to your listeners that you will do this. Go to Longreach because you can take you can take a couple of days going up the up the coast, or you can go inland a little bit more, go through um, regional Australia. There are some beautiful towns that you can go through, you know, Cootamundra, Narromine, Tamora, uh, Cowra, Broken Hill, whichever way you want to go, all in the southern side. But then you get into Queensland and go to Longreach and go and visit the Qantas uh, Heritage Museum up there, spend a couple of days in Queensland. And it's just a, it's like an aviator's dream. You've got, you know, 747s, uh, there's a super constellation there. It's just, um, Oh, it's not sorry, not a super constellation, but they're getting more aircraft there. It's just a brilliant place to visit for an aviator, and the the reward of knowing that you've flown yourself there mm. makes it all the more worthwhile. So yeah, that's that's probably one of my favourite places I think in the country to to visit. I always try and drop it into trips wherever I can, even if it's a bit of a detour. Totally, yeah. I've always wanted to go actually, and I haven't had the opportunity. So I think maybe you will have to hold me to it. My first long trip will be the long reach one. I was just going to say, when everyone hears that Chris has passed his PPL, just spam him in the con- comments <laughs> with like, you, have you been to long reach yet, Chris? Because you, you yeah, need go to on, go. You go would on. love it. <laughs> totally. I'd actually really like to visit a lot of my guests along the East Coast who have been, you know, who are stationed all the way along there and live up there. So it'd be a cool thing to slowly go and visit everyone that I've sort of interviewed digitally during COVID. You should. That would be a good road show. Take the podcast on the road and do like a follow up with everyone. That'd be cool, actually. Yeah, totally. All right. So everyone has to hold me to that now. So (laughs) (laughs) cool. And yeah, the cool thing about Longreach is it's one of the, you know, early birthplaces of Australian civil aviation too, being the base for Qantas in the early days as well. So absolutely, absolutely. And there's there's a lot of history around that in the museum as well, with some of the original um uh some of the original letters that were taken on the postal runs um up there in Australia as well. Uh in Queensland, sorry, as well. Um, and yeah, just a lot of history about the those pioneers of aviation, um, the people who started Qantas and the routes that they were flying up there in in Queensland and the Northern Territory. It's um, even for non-aviators, I think just from an Australian history point of view, it's a cracking place to visit. I do love it up there. So, what plane are you currently flying? I'm currently flying a Cirrus SR22. And before everybody switches off now and doesn't want to listen to the rest of your this podcast, because <laughs> I know people have their opinions of Cirrus aircraft, right? Um, but as I said before, I think it's the it's the mission, or it's the aircraft that meets the mission. And for me, for me, the mission is um, being able to travel longer distances and have good endurance and a a good IFR capable aircraft. So yeah, Cirrus Cirrus SR22. Uh, is what I'm flying at the moment. What's some of your favorite parts about it and like what made you decide to buy one? Like the the endurance of the aircraft. So a couple, couple of numbers. It will fly at, if it's clean, if it's dirty, it won't go as fast. But if it's clean, it will fly at about <laughs> 100 and, 160 knots. It can get, get about 160 knots TAS, true airspeed, um, cool. from the aircraft, burning 12 to 13 gallons an hour if it's leaned out. Um, which means that you can get at 92, 90 usable gallons on the aircraft. So I can, if you really stretch this thing out, and obviously with reserves and, and contingency and being safe, you can theoretically get 
you can get around six hours of flying out of this aircraft and that'll take you, you know, 150 knots, about 900 miles. Wow. You know, 900, 1,000 miles, nautical miles. So from, from that point of view, it is an incredibly capable aircraft if you want to go somewhere because it's, it's slippery, it's fast. It's, it, it, it takes you somewhere quickly. And I like that. So if I want to go to Sydney, I can get to Sydney in just over two hours. Um, if I want to go to Longreach, you know, you could theoretically, I have done this in the flight sim, do not try this at home, but you could do it nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> do not do that. Refuel along the way and get some pizza in Griffith. It's much more, much more enjoyable. But it, it, it gives you that capability. And so it gives you options. And I like it for that reason. Now, it's, um, it's very comfortable inside as well. It's a four-seater, but to be honest, it's not, you can't really take four full-size adults with a full tanks of fuel. Uh, from a weight and balance point of view, it's not really going to be happy if you do that. But for me, again, it's it's the plane that meets the mission. I fly on my own quite a lot of the time. So for someone who's just doing solo IFR flying, again, it's perfect for that. You can take some freight with you, but that's not my objective. My objective is to get myself somewhere. So it meets yeah. that mission. And and then the thing that most people know about the Cirrus aircraft, if you're familiar with it, it's it's the plane with the parachute. So it has a ballistic parachute system uh, inside it, installed as uh, as part of the, the the standard certificate. So if I am flying over water or over terrain, I get into trouble and I can't uh, keep an altitude with the aircraft, and I have to put the aircraft down. It gives me another option, which is. If I have a suitable runway underneath me, I can obviously try and do a normal forced landing, but otherwise I have a parachute that I can descend under as well. So yeah, it's just a very capable aircraft that can meet the travel requirements that I had, but also has a good comfort and safety aspects to it. And I found a secondhand SR22 generation three from 2007, about a year and a half ago. And yeah, bought it and I've, I've never looked back. Love the aircraft. Do you have any tips for people who are deciding on purchasing their first aircraft? Yes, I do. Yeah. So if you're looking to buy an aircraft, um, the very first thing you should do is create a, not too complex, and anyone can do this, but create a spreadsheet, which has got two columns, one that says rent and one that says buy, and put all your numbers in the column for how how much flying you're going to do, how often, so how many hours per month, all that kind of thing, what it costs you to rent an aircraft, what it will cost you to buy fuel, and then put another that's the easy one. Then put the hard one in, which is the buy stuff and talk to people and talk about all the stuff you don't think about. Talk about how much it will cost to park the aircraft at the airport. So we haven't been flying for three months, but I've still been paying for an aircraft for the last three months because you have to pay hangar rates and parking. Then you have to pay insurance. Haven't been flying for three months. I've still been paying insurance for the last three months. So all those things add up, but talk to people who do own aircraft, talk to, you know, your flying school and seriously do, do the comparison because there is, there is a sweet spot, which is when you're starting to do a little bit more flying, it can, and it does, in fact, work work out worth your while with the right sort of aircraft to buy as opposed to rent, especially if your aircraft can hold some value and you've got an option to sell it down the line as well. Um, so I'd do that. I'd first of all work out if buying is right for you. But then if, if it is, then just list out what you're going to do with the aircraft. So what are your... What are your mission objectives? So like for me, it's traveling longer distances at, at a higher speed and something that's IFR capable. For someone else, it might be something you can land on the beach and bush strips. Um, for someone else, it might just be a very inexpensive aircraft that you can build your training hours with. You know, It depends on what you want the aircraft for. Um, so do that, work out the aircraft. And then the final thing is, I'm going to contradict everything I said. Don't listen to what anyone tells you about how to buy an aircraft 
because everybody's got an opinion and everyone will tell you that whichever aircraft you've chosen, it's the wrong one for you because the right aircraft yeah. to buy is the one that the other person bought. That's, that's what's going to happen. So you'll get so <laughs> many different opinions, but put all those opinions aside and work out buying or renting. Are you sure buying is more cost effective for you? Don't do it for the love of owning an airplane unless you're a billionaire, then do what you want. Do it because it's more cost effective. And if it is, find the right plane for you and buy that one. Sounds good. Some sound advice, I think. <laughs> <laughs> On your YouTube channel, you do a few different like techie producty things where you sort of test some stuff and post videos about that. Being a tech person, do you have a flying gadget you can't live without? Oh, and can you finally settle the argument that everyone has about what the best headset is to buy? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's like Boeing versus Airbus. Are you sure we yeah. can have that conversation? <laughs> well, I haven't okay, done it um, yet, so might as well. <laughs> uh, all right, well, no, no, we can do it. I do have an opinion on that. Um, yeah, so, okay, best bit of technology. Well, it's the kind of the two, the two kind of go into, almost go into the same thing. I Long trips, I like having a headset which has Bluetooth capability so I can listen to music. And the moment I discovered on long flights that I can listen to music in the cockpit just changed my world. And it's so good. So I use, I am not, there's a, there's a meme kind of thing going around, which I, I'm sure I started, but about a year ago that I've, <laughs> I, I don't have any sponsorship on the channel. I don't have any sponsorship. So if anyone listening to Chris's podcast, just let me know. But I don't have a sponsor on the channel and I'm not seriously looking for one. But a lot of aviators out there do. And a lot of aviators out there have bows as a sponsorship who make the A20s, the, the noise cancelling headset. And so there was a, a sort of meme going on for a while, which is I, I just kept putting pictures of me wearing Bose merch and like wearing my A20s and everything and just going, wow, this amazing headset. I'm really, can I get some sponsorship? And it never happened and it never will. But I genuinely think it is such a good piece of technology. So if you're flying for a long time, um, yeah, yeah, having a headset where you can where you can um, get good noise cancelling so you can make sure that you're not going to damage your hearing long term is really, really important. Now, then when I discovered that the A20s have Bluetooth capability so I can get music into my headset, which it mutes the music when an, when an air traffic control call comes in, so you, you don't miss anything, just makes those long trips even more pleasant because you're not just sitting there listening to the hum of the engine. You can actually put on some music and and enjoy that in those non-mission critical parts of the flight as well. But probably gadgets wise, like I'm really being a YouTuber, I'm really into cameras and I love I love good camera tech on the aircraft. And I think probably one of my favorites just in terms of the versatility of what you can do is when I discovered the 360 GoPro 360 camera that sits on my out my um, starboard wing on the top, um, yeah, which just cool. means that I can get, I can get, yeah, like 360 degree views off, um, of the aircraft, I can look behind the aircraft, I can look in front of the aircraft, up, down. So for things like trying to tell a story and having like a cool camera angle from a pretty small device that uh, we got certification to put it on the wing, um, I reckon just just for what that's done for me to be able to tell stories through the content on YouTube, yeah, that 360 is probably, that's probably my favorite bit of kit. Do you find those camera editions help you in say, um working on your flying as well like if you had to review stuff say you were training and you wanted to do some sort of you know analyze your landings or something do you reckon there's any sort of use for cameras in that context yeah no it absolutely does and um i know a lot of people use cameras for debriefing purposes as well with instructors mm. i think they're fantastic i mean there's 
there are regulations and rules around fitting cameras onto aircraft, and you should obviously check those with your instructors before you, you go ahead and, and put any cameras on an airplane. But I do, I do use them, and I, I genuinely use my footage for my own um, education after a flight as well. I listen back to the radio calls that I've made, and I also watch the watch the footage with, and I've watched footage. So I, I broke the, the nose gear on, on an aircraft once because I landed pretty hard and I had to show the engineering oh. team. But with the um, with the engineering team, we analyzed the footage and we could see exactly why. There was too much, there was too much crosswind or cross cross um, loading on the aircraft. It, there was a crosswind and I didn't correct enough. So the nose wheel hit uh, with a bit of a sideward sweep and shimmied and it it cracked the fiberglass fairing on the nose wheel. And I wouldn't have known that if I wouldn't have had the camera pointing at the nose well, I would have just landed, looked at it and thought, well, why has that happened? Because I didn't notice it in the aircraft. I only saw it upon review. So yeah, it can be yeah, it right. can be very useful for that as well. It's awesome. What would you say has been your biggest challenge you've faced as both a content creator and a pilot so far? Biggest challenges. Um, the biggest, well, I'll take them one by one. As a content creator, I think the biggest challenge is there's no... Like, you know, I was talking about procedures with flying. There's no procedures with creating content. There's no rule book. That's true. It's like the creative thing in general, I find. It's like that. It is, sort of like, yeah. oh, Well, it's up to you what you do. And no <laughs> exactly. one's telling you, you know, there's no good or bad, you know, in terms of because it's quite subjective too. So it's kind of scary. <laughs> Definitely. And look, that, that, that sort of, that creative freedom is both brilliant and, and exactly like you say, it's scary. So it's great because you can do whatever you want. Well, you can make whatever content you want. No one tells me what videos I can put on my YouTube channel. You know, I can do anything. If I wanted to do a short form animation tomorrow, all about bagels, I just had a bagel for breakfast. That's what I thought about. If I, I wanted to do that, bagels. I could. Oh man, it's so good. And I've been having so many bagels lately, but we digress. Oh yeah, we've all, we've all got lockdown bellies. Don't worry about that. Um, but you can. So no one tells you what to do. But equally, that's difficult because no one's telling you what to do. So so there's no there's no rule book. But there's also sometimes it's quite a solitary. Um, exercise. There's a. I actually just watched a video before talking to you. There's a, a pilot. A lot of people will know Trent Palmer in the US. Um, excellent videos. He's a really good filmmaker as well as pilot. Um, and he put a video up uh, just today about the solitary aspects of being a YouTube creator. And not a lot, lot of not a lot of people think about that. That you are on your own when you make the content. You are on your own when you edit the content. You're on your own when you receive the feedback on your content. So when people are talking about you, you see it, but it's hard because you don't have many people to share that with. So I think that's 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 been a, a fair challenge is getting used to just dealing with how to, how to come up with the content ideas and how to manage. You're, you're managing basically a business, which is your own personal brand, how to manage that on your own because there's no team that surrounds you. I think that's that's probably been the hardest, and and I think as well with the content creation, I I could very much be seen as, oh Steph, he's that he's that aviation YouTuber, but I've never wanted to be seen as that. I've never wanted to niche myself and just say I'm all about aviation. But the hard thing when you create content, and and we were talking as well, Chris. I know you've got a, a music background as well. Is if you have a hit then people just want to hear that over and over again. And they kind of want to see you <laughs> yeah. do the same thing over That's and over true. again. But but as a creator, you want to express yourself and you want to express yourself in different ways. So finding that balance, I think, between niche and what I want to do as a creator, that 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 can be difficult sometimes, I'll, I'll admit. And, and then in, look, as a pilot, um, I made a video on this in the past as a, as a pilot, probably one of the biggest things that everybody suffers from. And, and anyone who says they don't suffer from this is lying is 
self-confidence and self-doubt as a pilot, which hits everybody at some stage. It doesn't matter if you've got a 10,000 hours or one hour. At some point, it will hit you. And that is that you're up in the sky and you're thinking, what the hell am I doing here? I don't know what I'm doing. Everybody else flying right now is a much better pilot than me. Why am I sitting here risking people below me in my own life and whoever's in the plane just to be here? And it yeah. happens to everyone. And I, I made a video about it actually called, you know, self-doubt, something or another. And the response I got from that with people saying, oh my God, this is exactly how I feel. I'm glad you talked about it, um, is a really important thing that we should be discussing in private aviation, general aviation especially. Um, and, and anyone listening to this, if you've ever been in the plane, you felt scared, you felt like you were, no, everyone else was better than you, people are telling you stuff that you don't understand and you think, I must be stupid. You're not, you're not alone and everybody feels like that. And it's okay, you just need to embrace it and work out how you can build yourself as a pilot as a result of that. But feeling that self-doubt and understanding that it's normal, that's probably one of the hardest things that I've had to get through. Totally. I think that's some great advice. And I imagine there's a lot of people also going through training who are feeling that same kind of thing too. Yeah. I mean, we, we all have the people who come up to us who've got more hours than us or an instructor mm. who, who you know, maybe mocks us or teases us for something we've done before. Um, everyone, you got to remember, everyone is always better than you, but everyone is always also worse than you. So comparison, favorite phrase, comparison is the thief of joy. You shouldn't compare yourself to other people because you'll rob yourself of the opportunity of being the best version of you that you can. So you've got to stop listening to others um, in terms of them saying that you are not good or they are better. And you've just got to trust yourself that you have it in you to grow as a person and a pilot and get through the bad times because you will. So you are also a keen traveler. What are some of your favorite flying destinations you've traveled to so far? And have you had the opportunity to do some cool flying while away traveling? Oh, yeah. And I always encourage people to do this. If you go traveling and you're into aviation, you don't have to have a, a license. You could have, you could have never flown. Go um, call up the local flying schools and just say, I love aviation. Can I go on? It's basically like a trial instructional flight like you would do at your local airport. But do it overseas. Yeah, totally. It's brilliant. So, yeah, I've done a couple of those. I was in... Um, let me think, Finland um, last year, it was summer last year, and I called up the local airport, Malmo is the name of the airport, and I said exactly that. And they, there was a DA-20, which I took with an instructor. So you're not pilot in command. You have an instructor with you who will do all the radio calls and tell you where to go and controlled airspace. You just grab the stick and you fly the thing. And it was brilliant. So we flew a DA-20 over Helsinki. Um, That's awesome. It was just an amazing experience. I absolutely love that. I was in Queenstown a couple of years ago. We did the same with a, we took a 172 over the ski resorts, over the mountains. It snowed the night before and all the mountains were covered in beautiful, fresh snow. We flew over the mountains, through the valleys, wow. back down the lake again. We did the Queenstown approach that, you know, all the, um, all the jets do, but in a 172. Um, and again, with an instructor next to me, so I had no legal responsibility for the aircraft, but I flew the whole thing. It was amazing. And, um, I've done in New York, which is probably my favorite place to visit of all time and absolutely love New York City. If ever you're in New York, uh, fly the Hudson River corridor. Do it because you. we did. We flew up the Hudson River from an airport in New Jersey. Um, we did some orbits around the Statue of Liberty. We flew over Central Park, down the East River, and then we got vectored back to our um, destination airport over Newark International. So I'm looking down wow. at Newark, flying an aircraft with the 737s all landing underneath me. Um, so it's brilliant. Yeah, I absolutely encourage anyone, anyone, doesn't matter what level you're at with your flying, 
if you're traveling overseas, call the local flying schools and yeah, go experience airspace somewhere else. That's awesome. Uh, do you have any other tips or advice for people who want to enjoy a private pilot's license? Um, or even just if people are in training and say, um, want to explore this kind of area of aviation? Yeah, I think, I think I'd say to people who are, <clears throat> maybe you've got a pilot's license or you're just, you're just starting out, you know, with trying to spread your wings a little bit more is ch challenging yourself seems hard from the outset, but it's really the best thing you can do. And I think the best way you can do that is on trips. So it's one thing to it's one thing to fly from your local airport, do a little scenic flight and come back and land at the same airport, do that 50 times, that's fine, that's all good flying, it all counts. But it's a very different thing to um, like plan a trip to like your trip to Longreach, Chris, this would be a good one. It's a good thing to, to plan a trip like that. So take you know take a week out of your calendar, know that you're going to be flying for three days out of that week. so you're not you're not overstressing yourself with flying every single yeah. day. Do short legs, you know, if you normally do, you know, an hour and a half flights, maybe do two hour flights, just push yourself a little bit more. That's all you need to do. Stop, refuel, maybe even end it for the day. Just do one flight a day or one in the morning, one in the afternoon, but whatever it is, build a little itinerary with an objective. And the objective is what will broaden you even more. The objective is I've never been to Longreach, I'd love to go, or I've never seen Uluru, I'd love to fly to Uluru. And the moment you have an objective, then you start to fill in all the gaps. So have a big dream and you think, well, how, how the hell am I going to fly to Uluru? I mean, flying over the desert, isn't that dangerous? Sure, but not if you prepare. And the preparation is where you'll learn more as a pilot, I reckon, than the flying itself. And that's that's yeah, that's right. so much, that's, that's such a fun part of the process. So look, I just, I just say that. I just say do trips, um, plan longer legs, get away from your home airport. Overnight's a really good ways to do it. But yeah, look, the other things to do with your pilot's license, we spoke about me landing at Melbourne. You can still do stuff like that. Call up Melbourne, call up Sydney, call Brisbane, call Adelaide, Perth, Darwin, call the big airports that you might have been to as a, as a commercial airline passenger, but never as a private pilot and ask them, just say, look, I want to land there. I've seen other people do it on the internet. Um, what's the procedure? They'll tell you the procedure. And you can go and land your plane at like Brisbane International. It's really cool. So yeah, cool, now's yeah. the time to challenge yourself to do those sorts of things. But I just think having an objective to your flying is really important. Don't just go, oh, I think I want to fly today. I'll just go buzz around the coast a little bit. That's all well and good. But when you have an objective, I think that's when you grow your experience as, a, as an aviator. Awesome. So this is a part of the podcast where I like to ask these questions uh, to my guests. What has been your most memorable flight so far? So this kind of turned into a two-parter after a while, which is now <laughs> this could be either something really amazing or fun that you've loved, or it could be something scary or nail-biting. But most people say kind of both. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's a good question, actually. Um, I have, okay, I have two flights, which were one day after each other, which I think will answer both your questions. So I'll do the, I'll do the scary one first, because that was the one that came first. So we were in, this was this time last year when I was flying with a very good friend of mine, Philippe Pullman. He's a pilot in the UK. We were doing some flying around Europe and we flew from basically over three weeks all around Europe, but one of the legs was from the UK to Austria. So we flew into Austria, um, landed at a, it was Kitzbühel, near Kitzbühel, the ski resort. And we landed at an airport, spent overnight there, and then got back in the plane the next morning, and it was blowing quite a breeze. It was quite a, quite blustery. And we were, the cloud base was about 10, 11,000 feet, and the peaks in the Alps 
as a lot of people know, some of them go higher than that. So we had to stay under the mm -hmm. clouds and do some valley flying um, to get to our next destination. And the turbulence that we hit on that flight is the worst turbulence I've ever experienced. Um, and I'm not a big fan of turbulence at the best of times. I do try and avoid it wherever I can. And that was, it was a little bit hairy at, at some points. Now, Philippe afterwards tells me, yeah, the turbulence wasn't fine. It was all good. But when I review the footage, I can see him hanging on to the, the, the rail in the <laughs> aircraft. He was, he was hanging on as well. We both were. My iPad was flying off my lap. Things were flying around, hitting the roof. Oh, um, it, was, it was getting to the point where you think, should, should, we really should divert now. But we knew the conditions were better. We were within the envelope of the performance of the aircraft. So... From from that point of view, we were safe. It was just it was just gnarly. It was it wasn't very nice. So we kept flying. We got through the turbulence. We ended up in Italy that night, and we landed at a place called Lido, which is a grass airstrip in Venice. And we um, got out. So that was my worst flight. We got out. We had gelato in Venice. It was all very romantic. Two pilots just in hanging out in Venice, you know, <laughs> eating ice cream and enjoying enjoying the romantic city. And then we got back the next day, we got back into the aircraft again, and I had probably what is one of my favorite flights, definitely from that trip, but maybe of all time, where we took off from Venice and we flew into Switzerland, back through the mountains with basically zero knots of wind, clear blue skies. Wow. Uh, we flew up to the Matterhorn. So we flew over Zermatt, the ski resort, and up to the Matterhorn. I could almost reach out and touch it. Um, we were that wow. close to it. And to fly through the mountains, all VFR, um, lots of low-level stuff up and down through the valleys, um, without a breath of, without a bump of turbulence, no no breath of of wind, was just spectacular. And it really said to me that was really one of those moments, which is, you're gonna have those really bad days, but if you keep pushing and you don't give up, like literally the next day was probably one of my favourite experiences altogether. So yeah, that's pretty intense, but I'll never forget those two flies. <laughs> especially not the first one. <laughs> Maybe needed that contrast as well to be like, wow, this is so great. Yeah. Specifically compared to that previous flight. <laughs> exactly. If it, maybe if I'd have done the second flight on a normal day, it would have been like, meh, yeah, that like, was fine. Oh, yeah. sure, a couple yeah. of mountains, who cares? Matt Horn, whatever. Yeah. We've got mountains in Australia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. So moving on, what would your dream flight you could do just for fun be? My dream flight just for fun. Can I, can I pick like a really, really big outlandish one? Because I have, there's a dream yeah, flight I've been working does, on so. for like, okay, good. <laughs> All right. So I've been, if you follow my channel for a bit, you'll know, I've been talking about this for a while. The, actually this time right now, if we wouldn't have had this um, pandemic, I would just have been returning uh, on my last leg of flying around the world. So that was the plan. Instead I was of being planning. paying for insurance of your plane on the ground this exactly. entire time. Yes, exactly. That's <laughs> what I've been doing. And you know what? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, thanks, 2020. Thanks a lot. Really, yeah. really appreciate that. Um, yeah, so I would have been coming back. My plan was to leave in um, the end of June this year, 2020. I've been planning it for, well, I've been planning it probably for 10 years, but I've been properly planning it for about two years. Um, and yeah, everything was ready. It was actually one of the main reasons for buying the aircraft was to get it ready for that trip. And unfortunately... I mean, it's not a, people have lost more than me, um, so I'm not complaining at all, but that's the situation. I mean, I would have been flying around the world, um, but it's never say never. So it's just postponed. So I will do it. It will be a trip that I do. Um, I feel now that I have extra time to plan and prepare and, you know, become hopefully a more experienced and better pilot and enjoy it even more. So I'm not sure when around the world travel will be back on the cards again. I'm 
realistically not thinking I'm going to do it next year. I think next year will be all about rediscovering places in Australia that I've never flown to before because we have a tremendously diverse and exciting country that we live in. And if there's one place that we're going to be stuck next year, I would choose this country above any other. So yeah, discovering more about Australia, I think that's going to be the plan for next year. But hopefully 2022, mid-year, is when I would like to finally um, fly around the world. Um, That'd be awesome. And yeah, and and take the aircraft over ba- basically a four month. I've got. I've, it's so annoying. I, I know all the airports. I know exactly where I'm going. I've got the companies who, who are doing the refueling. The aircraft's oh. ready. I even had the insurance done. I like, I've got a Russian a visa in my passport that was already. But oh. it's just I'll just have to postpone it an, another couple of years. But yeah, if it's if you're talking about dream flights, I reckon since I was a kid when I used to read books about people sailing around the world, um, I always knew that doing something like that under my own steam. This in this instance in an aircraft, yeah, that would be it. That'd be awesome. Where do you plan to land? What what kind of direction you're taking? East or west? What where are you going? East. I'm I'm doing what most people do. I'm going easterly to try and pick up the you know majority prevailing winds coming from the west. Um, but basically the route is um, yeah it's it's up through so up through Australia, Indonesia, Philippines, Japan, then up into Russia. Hopping across to Alaska, I'm not doing a big ocean crossing, so I'm just doing shorter hops because my objective, again, is is traveling for a purpose. So I want to land in these places and, and and see them, and I've never been to a lot of these countries, so I don't want to just yeah, blast totally. across and, and break a record. I want to see the world. That's why I'm doing this. So, yeah, into Russia, across to America, and then the North Atlantic crossing, uh, Iceland, uh, Greenland and Iceland, through Europe, through the Middle East, India, Myanmar, Thailand. Oh, I'm going to get sad thinking about this now. Anyway, Thailand, Singapore, <laughs> back into Indonesia, and then back into Australia via Broome and home again. So yeah, it would have been would have been a good trip, but stay tuned because it will happen at yeah, some point. 2022. In the 2022. And maybe we can exactly. do a thing where we uh, tune in from wherever you are along the way and sort of do some updates. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, you do the first leg with me, Chris, with your pilot's license. So um, we'll hike up to Longreach together and you can make it your Longreach trip. We should do something like that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, there's there's your motivation. (laughs) I've got a goal. (laughs) Cool. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and, you know, uh, background to all your content creation and stuff that you're doing and stuff you love about aviation. It's been great. And uh, hopefully it's inspirational for everyone. I think it will be. Awesome. No, thanks very much, Chris. It's nice to um nice to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Thank you everyone for listening and um yeah, enjoy your flying. Totally. And everyone can go out and enjoy the flying now in Melbourne, like you. I know. <laughs> I know. That's the, once we hang up from here, I think I'm heading back to the airport again. Awesome. That'd be great. All right, thanks, Chris. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening to episode twelve. I encourage everyone to check out Steph on YouTube and give him a follow. I guarantee you'll love his videos and hopefully be inspired to do some cool flying. Once again, don't forget to subscribe as well as follow us on Facebook and Instagram. See you next week.